Betsy just had the Happy Vagina rally, right? The Happy Vagina rally. And she got banned on multiple platforms. Even her personal text messages were shut off. So we got to be able to talk about this in a healthy way. This is anatomy. And yet this, this is an area of our, of our culture, certainly that is, has been shut down literally and figuratively for a long time. And we do want to open up whatever words we can use to, to have this discussion so that we can blossom and have healthy, healthy vulva vaginal area for the rest of our lives. Right. And I would say the most important anatomy of our body, clitoris to anus, that is the most important anatomy of our body. When things are bad down there, and I know my, my colleagues here will agree, I mean, it's bad. It's bad everywhere. Life is not good when you've got problems down here. Girl, you've got questions. Questions about your body and how to feel good in it, about your hormones and how to keep them in check. Questions about your sex life and your whole health. Can you imagine having a best girlfriend who was also a triple board certified OBGYN? A girlfriend doctor you could call and ask or tell her anything. Someone who could show you how to live any stage of life before, during, or after menopause in a big, bold, and beautiful way. Well, friends, I'm your girlfriend doctor. I believe you are meant to flourish and shine, to embrace life and awaken to all its possibilities. Let's get there together. Welcome to our show. There are certain things we love to talk about and certain things we don't. And we like to think talking about sex and our reproductive parts is just natural and easy. But the truth is, it's hard. It's hard conversations to have, and especially when we're having problems, when things aren't working like they should. I'm standing outside my hotel room here in San Diego and just surrounded by nature. And it's really gorgeous. Each plant, each flower, each leaf is different and uniquely beautiful, as are each of you. And I know some of you needed to hear that. I could used to hear that on a daily basis, frankly. But it's so true. And it's true with our reproductive parts, with the vulva. I always like to draw the analogy to the orchid. I mean, seriously, just look at an orchid. Beautiful flower. Each one uniquely different, looks like the vulva, and that's what we need to know. In this special Girlfriend Doctor show, I am sharing my interview with three other pelvic health experts that are just incredible and extraordinary. We get to answer some questions from our audience, and this may bring up questions in you too. Grab a pen and paper. You're going to want to take notes. Definitely watch the video. We'll put the link below in the show notes and let me know your questions. Remember, you can ask or tell me anything. So I look forward to hearing your comments. Here we go. Thank you, ladies, for being here with me for the All Things B Masterclass. I'm excited to be here with three of my best and closest colleagues and friends. And oh my gosh, it is great to be here with you guys. So we have participants coming in online, and I want to welcome welcome all of you. That's my granddaughter, Andalisa. She welcomes you all, too, in the background here. So I want to welcome you all and let you know the chat box is open, and you will be able to ask questions. So I want to just kind of start with a fun little questionnaire. 
And we'll just start with this one. Was a healthy bee ever discussed in your home? I'm going to ask my co-host here, Betsy, was a healthy bee ever discussed? No, not at all. You guys, and this is really amazing because Dr. Betsy Greenlee is a urogynecologist, the first female urogynecologist in the United States. Kim, was a healthy bee ever discussed in your home? Yes. Yes. My mom was, she was an OR nurse and she was very open with my brother and I. So I like, I wouldn't say it was discussed as what's a healthy vagina, but I asked questions. She gave lots of advice and lots of information. So I credit her a lot in terms of putting me on this path because it was kind of the curiosity I had and the fact that she did share with me her personal journey and her struggles that I ended up where I am. So yes, it was in my house. Wow. Also, Kim Bopney also known as the vagina coach. <laughs> So awesome. So influencing begins early. Influencing begins early. Dr. Jessica Drummond, was a healthy bee ever discussed in your home? I would say a bit, according to your answers. You know, we did, my mom was was open and we, you know, talked about cycling and, and birth control and all that kind of stuff, but not a lot. It was very, very quick and not until I was a probably a, like at least 15 or 16 years old, which is a little bit late in many cases, right? Uh, that is, my, my, my grandmother used to call it your business. Mm. <laughs> she'd be like, she'd be like you, when you were little, she'd tell you to put powder, like, and I know issues with powders, but she'd be like, did you sugar your business? <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So it's funny. There are all, all uh, you know, all kinds of terms that we've had for our pelvic floor. And you guys, I mean, I'm curious, like that's your business, the little man in the boat for the clitoris. That's a Southern term. Yeah. Pie. Those are some terms you guys in the chat box. Do you want to go ahead and put in some of the terms that have been used to reference the vagina, the vulva, your lady bits? Down there, I'm curious to hear any, you guys have any other funny terms that have come up for the vagina, the pelvic floor? What do you have? I think as, as you, as the kind of the, the four of us were talking about just before we went on too, is that we're now, we have to come up with other terms. So there are thankfully a ton of different terms that are used for pelvic health and vulva vagina, but we're now forced to, even though it, our, our intention is really to educate and start normalizing these terms, we can't because we are blocked in social media because it's considered inappropriate. So I use muff a lot. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. Mm, muff, pussy, those are two. But you you know, as um, Kim's referencing, TikTok was blocking her. Betsy just had the Happy Vagina rally, right? The Happy yeah. Vagina rally. And she got banned on multiple platforms. Even her personal text messages were shut off. So we got to be able to talk about this in a healthy way. This is anatomy. And yet this, this is an area of our, of our culture, certainly that is, has been shut down literally and figuratively for a long time. And we do want to open up whatever words we can use to, to have this discussion so that we can blossom and have healthy, healthy vulva vaginal area for the rest of our lives, right? And I would say the most important anatomy of our body, clitoris to anus, that is the most important anatomy of our body. When things are bad down there, and I know my my colleagues here will agree, I mean, it's bad, it's bad everywhere. Life is not good when you've got problems down here. 
Some people, you don't think about it until you have a problem. And then that's all you can think about. Yeah, Yeah. that's true. And here we had, um, so only 0.8% of respondents of of you guys who are listening, only 0.8% said yes openly, 0.8%. So definitely a bit 31%, no, never 68%. So very cool. Very cool. It's good to know. I'm, and I'm very, very glad that you're here because I know that you're going to want to have this discussion to, you know, to others, to have this discussion with others. And so great to see you guys here from all over Texas, Florida. Let's see. I saw someone t- put tulip and cookie. I like cookie. That one's a good one. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I and tulip, I didn't realize. Is good. Because we, because I always look at it as like two lips, right? So we've got the yeah. outer and the inner. So I like two lips. <laughs> and also when you're relaxing the muscles, you can, there used to be you part of the biofeedback. There used to be literally like a video game we used to use probably 15, 20 years ago in our PT clinics where it was biofeedback to try to open and close a, a flower. Yeah. So that works yeah. well. Yeah. I, I like tulips too. All right. I hear people. Can you guys hear me in the chat box? All right. Thank you. Anna, I didn't realize too, like, because you're the girlfriend doctor, I was thinking like girlfriend, like you're somebody that I could talk to like a girlfriend, but we were talking about it in uh, a dance class that I'm taking. And one of the women says that growing up, she, they used to refer to down there as the girlfriend. And I was like, Oh, I wonder if that's why you also picked that name. Oh, that's so. funny. <laughs> not, it is not, but that is, that is funny because they've worked with girls too. And then one of the things that our mission in my business too, at the girlfriend doctor club, we help young girls who've been sex trafficked. And so mm. I've heard them refer to the moneymaker. Money. And so it's very different, right? And there's terminologies that are good and and bad and and so really creating liberation and freedom from this. This is this is powerful. So all right, I'm gonna share some slides with you guys and I wanna run around and introduce each of my experts and and you guys are gonna be able to ask questions here in the chat box and um We'll do that in just a second here. Let's see. Hey, there we go. So hopefully you guys in the chat box are participants. Go ahead and let me know if you can see the slides. So uh, a few things that we're going to be talking about today is what, how vaginal health can change through the ages, dryness, pain during sex, incontinence. And you'll hear from each of our experts what are the most common presentations or the common complaints, issues that they help clients with. And then also how to get a well-toned pelvic floor for the rest of our life. I mean, that is so important every day of our life till our very last day. And then also we'll be busting some common myths associated with all things V. A quick disclaimer that, you know, the opinions expressed in this webinar and this masterclass by me and my guests are published for education and informational purposes and not, not intended as a diagnosis, treatment, or as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and treatment. So I encourage you to consult a local physician or other healthcare pro- professional for your specific healthcare or medical concerns or needs. We are here to help. And welcome, you guys, to the All Things V Masterclass. I am Dr. Anna Kabeka. I am a triple board certified OBGYN and author of three best-selling books, The Hormone Fix, Keto Green 16, and my newest release, menu pause and I've created solutions and products 
for my for myself and for my patients because there was nothing to help me. And it really blows me away to be at this point in my life and my career and being able to be here with all of you to share this information and real life solutions from real life experts. Our, um, we have three professional experts on this call. Dr. Betsy Greenleaf and I have known each other for almost a decade, and she is the in America, the first female urogynecologist. It's so amazing. She's a women's health expert, entrepreneur, inventor, and business leader, and specializes in female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery, and she's done so for over 20 years. She's really been a tra trailblazer as the first female in the United States to be a urogynecologist, and in 2018 was honored with the title of Distinguished Fellow of American College of Osteopathic Obstetricians and Gynecologists for her service and dedication to the field. So she's also the CEO of the Pelvic Floor Store, and she has some of your parts podcast and just hosted the Happy Vagina Rally, you guys, Happy Vagina mm -hmm. Rally. Kim Bopney is here with us, and she is a self-professed Kegel maven and is known as the Vagina Coach. She's a certified fitness professional, author, passionate speaker, and a woman's health educator. Her most recent book, Your Pelvic Floor, launched in March of 2020 and was on the bestseller list since pre-orders launched in January. She is the founder of Pelvien Wellness, Inc., a company offering pelvic health programs, products, and coaching for women in pregnancy, motherhood, and menopause, because things change for sure. Things change for sure. Jessica Drummond, another longtime friend and colleague, and really as a mentor and a teacher, trainer, a resource, pelvic floor therapist, uh, physical therapist that she's educated have been a huge resource for me and my business. She is the CEO of the Integrative Women's Health Institute, and she's author of Outsmart Endometriosis. She holds licenses in physical therapy and clinical nutrition and is a board-certified health coach. She has 20 years of experience working with women with chronic pain, facilitates educational programs for women's health professionals in more than 60 countries, and leads virtual wellness programs for people with endometriosis. Dr. Drummond lives and works with her husband and daughters between Houston, Texas, and Fairfield, Connecticut. That's a story in and of itself. So awesome, you guys. So I want to thank you guys for being here today. And I want to address, I want you guys to each address what are the most common conditions that you help people work through. Jessica, will you start? Yes, absolutely. So our coaching programs and a lot of our clinical education is around endometriosis, but we also work with everything that goes along with that vulvodynia. So we're talking a lot about pelvic floor, vulvovaginal issues. And one of the reasons that's so frustrating, we can't call our actual parts by their anatomical names is that people don't actually know them, you know, even women who have given birth. And so when they're trying to explain a challenge to their doctor or clinician, they're really struggling. So we work with vulvar pain. We work with endometriosis a lot. We work with a lot of bladder issues and also painful sex through the lifespan. You know, people have painful sex, not just at menopause, sometimes even in their teens and twenties. So we work with that through a woman's entire lifespan. All right, Kim, how about you? 
So I started out working primarily with pregnant women. So my intention when I started my business was to introduce the concept of pelvic floor in pregnancy to help prevent, we have such an opportunity to prevent. So it was working primarily with that population initially. And that was my first book called Prepare to Push. And then from there, I started to look at, well, now we're kind of overlooking this recovery piece. So then it became, how do we optimize postpartum recovery? And I formed a second business called Belly Zinc. And we put together a kind of a postpartum recovery protocol and, and wrap taking inspiration from other cultures around the world. And that was really focused on incontinence and prolapse and diastasis. And then it started to, as you know, it was kind of like following my own journey. So as I was now moving into perimenopause and getting closer to menopause, then it was people saying, well, you know, I've given birth 15 years ago or 20 years ago and I have this, or I've never given birth and I have this problem. So incontinence and prolapse are the two most common that people come to me for, but I've experienced both and I've been very vocal about my own personal journeys. And then also now uh, I've had a surgery for one of those prolapse. So there's also now a population that's coming to me for support through pelvic surgery. So I would say incontinence and prolapse would be the two number or the, the two most common things that I help people with. Yeah. Yeah. And those are big issues because the recovery, like you can't even express what recovery is like. And Betsy, what, what are some of the most common things that you see that you've seen in your medical practice and you've helped women through? Yeah. I mean, I was just thinking what what Kim was saying. Unfortunately, prolapse, about 50% of women will have a prolapse at some point in their lives. Prolapse, incontinence, leaking when you cough, laugh, sneeze, or having to run to get to the bathroom because it's hard to hold it in. Um, Those have been, as a urogynecologist, that's usually the mainstay of what we do. But my also, my, my passion is pelvic pain and microbiome health. So recurrent urinary tract infections, recurrent vaginitis, and actually connecting the microbiome to all those things, painful sex, painful pelvis, and pretty much anything vagina or bladder related. (laughs) So yeah. There's a lot there. And I just put a poll in the box too that said, have you ever struggled with incontinence? So you guys go ahead and answer that poll. Go ahead, Betsy, you were saying. I was just thinking too, with when Kim was saying it kind of like when I went into gynecology, I never really thought about it. Like I didn't think about going in to heal myself, but you know, 80% of women are going to have a pelvic health condition at some point in their lives. And so I've been there with recurrent urinary tract infection, recurrent vaginal infections. I've had a rectocele, a prolapse repaired. I've had painful sex. I've had spasmed pelvic floor. So like almost everything I've ever treated in my patients, I've gone through it myself. And unfortunately, it is so incredibly common in every day of practice. I mean, you guys know when you're dealing with patients that they'll sit there and go, oh, I must be the only person this has ever happened to because I don't hear any of my friends talk about it when 80% of us are going to have one of these issues at some point. Yeah, 80% is a lot. 80% is a lot. So I want to go over, I want to now kind of go over pelvic anatomy and and just talk about pelvic anatomy. You guys in the chat box, does that sound good? And Mm -hmm. I've got a couple questions that are coming in. So great. I'm going to answer your question. We'll answer your question, Joanne F and Joanne C. We'll get you covered there. Yeah. And then regarding incontinence, let's close this poll. You guys have your poll in. So I'll close the poll. 156 people responded. And let's see, 68% no, never, no incontinence. Wait, 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 sorry, which one? 58% said yes. 
58%. So over half of you have struggled with incontinence. That's leaking when you cough or sneeze and or you have the urgency to go, can't make it to the bathroom at time. There's also post-urinary incontinence. So after you urinate, you have some leaking or dribbling. All of those are different types of incontinence. And we'll get into a little bit more. Let's first talk about, because the vagina is so important for healthy bladder control, for incontinence issues, postpartum, right? From postpartum moms, I've delivered four babies. I mean, I remember not being able to jump without leaking. And I'm 56 now, I can tell you, I have no more problems with any of that, which I am very, very glad about. But in my 30s and 40s, I've really struggled with it. And so, so let's talk about pelvic anatomy. Kim, will you go through some of the pelvic floor anatomy, please? Yeah, sure. You got your little pelvis right there. Yeah, I'll, I'll bring both of my pelvis. So just quickly, this is kind of our bony anatomy, or our bony structures that we have. And we're talking about the group of muscles that closes this space off. So if you were to put your hands on your hips, this is, these are your hips here. Here's your pubic joint. People call that a bone, but it's a pubic joint at the front. And then we have our tailbone at the back. That's another attachment point. And if you were to lift your butt cheek up and pull the flesh away, you'd feel a bony point there called your sit bone. So if this person was laying on the back, you can see these four points here, kind of like a diamond shape. And that's where those muscles attach to. And I think it's important to know that it's not just one muscle. It's not the Kegel muscle and it's not the PC muscle. It's actually three layers of, of muscles and they have really important jobs. So this is what that same pelvis would look like with that space closed off. So here's, sorry, here's the two sit bones, the tailbone and the pubic joint. Here's the anus. Here's the vulva. So all of that would be the vulva. And then we have the vaginal opening and we have the urethra. So we have three openings and we have all of these muscles. Again, there's three layers of them and they are responsible for pelvic and spinal control and stability. They're responsible for a sump pump working relationship with our diaphragm. They're responsible for our continence. So managing those three openings, they're responsible for organ support. So in our inside here, we have the bladder, the uterus, and the rectum, and they play a role in managing the, the position, the, the proper anatomical position of those organs. So that's kind of super high level, but that's basically what we're talking about. I love it. Anyone want to add anything? So, and I would also say, you know, we, there's a lot of questions about painful sex after hysterectomy. So if you look really superficially, you've got very kind of delicate tissues right here at the vulva. This is the, the external genitals or your vulva, where, whereas like the, the, the tube inside the muscle is actually the vaginal canal. Yep, there we go. And um, I know I don't know where my little parts are. <laughs> and a lot of women have a lot of tenderness right here at the vaginal opening, either because of low hormones post hysterectomy, which is really, really common, but also just vulvodynia, which can be related to gut microbiome. It can be related to endometriosis. It can be related to vaginal microbiome. It can be related to just tight pelvic floor. So you've got all these layers of muscle here that can be tight. And if you had been walking around for the last five or 10 years with your hand in the, in a fist, and then you tried to open it, that might be a bit uncomfortable. It's the same thing with the pelvic floor. A lot of women carry stress and trauma. You know, you were talking about Betsy earlier, 80% of women have pelvic health issues. 
Also, one recent study was done, 80% of active working pelvic physical therapists, physical, all physical therapists, have been sexually assaulted at work. So wow. if you think about how many women have been just sexually traumatized in some way, that is a huge number. And a lot of people carry that trauma just living in a tension in this whole area of muscle in the same way that if someone had been had hit you in the head at some point or you fell on your head or got it, you might walk around a little bit like this, just subconsciously protecting yourself. Yeah. So I think we need to be mindful that, and it doesn't have to be rape. It can be other kinds of sexual trauma. It can be medical trauma. It can be birth trauma. It can be, you know, lots of different things that people experience that sometimes you're not even really aware of until you realize you've been holding on to tension both in the pelvic floor, but also sometimes in the head, the neck, the jaw, could be anywhere in the body, but the pelvic floor is this group of muscles that tends to try to protect us in ways that can be painful. Yeah, yeah, no, that's so well said. And, and you know, I'm going to throw in past life trauma. I'm just going to mm -hmm. throw that in there too, because just the things that I found and I've worked through with individuals, it's uh, it's pretty amazing what we can hold on to, and mm -hmm. so so thinking this through and to really recognize it and create safe space to heal from it, right? And so I know Joanne had asked about after total hysterectomy having so much pain and sex, and I'm gonna throw in like in clients who have had total hysterectomy, I want to make sure that they're on progesterone cream and some vaginal vulvar hormone. So for me, it's Jolva. And my balance cream, certainly, but using progesterone with or without a uterus, my patients always said, I feel like a cloud has lifted. And I want to, you know, share that with you, Joanne, and for asking your question, but using things like topical hormones, for me, I start with Jolva, which has DHEA and stem cells in it and progesterone, but you also want to look, you want to do some pelvic floor therapy. Who knows what happened during that hysterectomy? What was your body holding on to? You know, what are the adhesions that have formed, but pelvic floor physical therapy, and it will make a huge difference in, in opening up. And I think one of the other things, what about using a vibrator with some lubricant on it, or so I would put Jolva on it because that is, that is what I do. I'm going to grab one in a second. Jessica, you got one there for you. Uh, yep, there's the Lip Duo. So there's the Jolva. And you would put it on a vibrator and insert it and gradually increase the size of the vibrator you can have exactly. And talk about that, that dilator right there. So I'm terribly sorry. My husband literally started mowing the lawn right <laughs> under my yard. So I apologize for that noise that I can't stop right at this moment. Is, um, is good. We're going to thank him. <laughs> he is taking care of you. That's right. So, so a couple things, you know, when you have a lot of tension in these muscles, but also where the skin might be rather tight, you can use wands. This is one from Intimate Rose. There's thinner, you know, one side is thinner, one side is thicker, and you can use dilators that progress in size. So, you know, we have little teeny tiny ones where you're just starting. And we have much bigger ones, even about four times as big as this. So you can be patiently relaxing those muscles while you're using something like Jolva to bring more pliability, more 
uh, thickness to the tissue more because this tissue can get very, very fragile. And that's what's so nice about this with something like vulvodynia or post-hysterectomy or for people who simply can't tolerate having hormones. And, you know, that's going to be increasing with clotting issues or, you know, there, there are various reasons why people can't handle, um, you know, estrogen directly either here or orally. This is why this is so valuable again, at all ages, like we don't have to wait till someone's in menopause. You can start when you're much younger. If you, you know, someone who's been on a hormonal birth control pill, that's a hormonal suppressant. So anything that then you can combine it with this and very gently get comfortable with your own anatomy. And I think that's so valuable because a lot of women wait till they are jumping right into sex rather than having some bridge comfortable discussion first with themselves and their own anatomy and then their partner and some really good communication skills. Thank you, Jessica. And uh, Betsy, post-hysterectomy, post-hysterectomy pain interventions and things for people to uh, be wary of or to be able to prevent. You know, I was just thinking, I mean, this even applies to all pelvic pain too, because we were, we were talking a lot about the pelvic muscles being spasmed, which often happens. And especially after, anytime someone's had a pelvic surgery, your muscles, it, your body doesn't know that you like purposely had a surgery. It doesn't know the difference between that and you were in some horrific accident. So your muscles are spasming to try to protect themselves. And when they do that and they splint, they decrease the blood flow to those muscles, which then in itself causes more pain. And so sometimes the muscles get into this vicious cycle of spasm and pain and spasm and pain. And then you have sex and it hurts and the muscles subconsciously use spasm the more. But also sometimes we'll say in with pelvic pain patients is their source of pain might not even be coming from the pelvis. I've seen where people have had tears in their ligaments in their hips or herniated discs, or even as far as like brain tumors. Um, and if it's pushing or triggering those nerves, the pelvic floor is going to can spasm and, and lead to this chronic pain. So one of the things too, with chronic pain that I always like to explain to people is you always have to take a body, mind, spirit approach to things, because if we don't deal with the mental and spiritual aspect of things, nothing else is going to get better. Another thing that happens with chronic pain, whether it's in the pelvis or anywhere in the body, is over time, our receptors get upregulated. So it was like, if I came and hit you with a hammer on your hand, and I did that every single day for three months, Every single time I did that, you would upregulate the receptors in your arm to your spinal cord to your brain and your brain would go, ow, ow. And then what would happen is you'd start developing more receptors and more receptors, more receptors, the more perceived pain. Now, three months later, I come and I touch you with a feather and your body goes, doesn't think it's a feather. It goes, ow, because now all your receptors have been upregulated and now your body go, thinks I'm still hitting you with a hammer. And unfortunately let's say pre-surgery, what I see more often than not in traditional medicine, unfortunately, is women having hysterectomies for pelvic pain because, or even vestibulodynia where they take out some of the tissue of the vulva because, well, if you're having pain, let's get rid of it. 
it's the same idea as if you were having chronic pain in your foot and I amputated your foot, you'd still have those pain receptor, receptors in your spinal cord and in your brain. And so it doesn't get rid of the foot pain. It doesn't get rid of the pelvic pain. But there have been a number of studies that have been shown that things like acupuncture, meditation, creative visualization, a lot of these alternative therapies where they, they took patients in chronic pain and whose brain MRIs showed a, a change in their brain then put them all the way through like an eight-week course of meditation and their brain improved and their perception of pain improved. So when someone has a chronic pain syndrome, you have to like address all aspects of body, mind, spirit to actually get rid of the pain. And so I'm not saying that surgery isn't the answer, but sometimes it's not. There's other ways to go about it. And even if you've had surgery, addressing those other areas to support the body and the brain. So, well, and I think what you're saying, Betsy, is so important in terms of combining both. So if you, you know, if you've had been hit in the vagina, if you will, every day, and then someone's, you know, someone's saying, well, they tried using a, a dilator and it was so painful. Absolutely. So what we really have to do is very slowly, while we're doing that mindfulness practice, while we're down-regulating the autonomic nervous system and breathing differently and bringing awareness to thoughts and emotions and areas of tension and areas of guarding at the same time that we do the exercises. And sometimes we don't start right at the pelvic floor too. I think a lot of times, you know, I start in the neck, in the shoulders, in the arms, in the back, because if you're carrying tension somewhere, you're carrying it somewhere else. So I think the combination of those two things are so powerful. And one of the ways we've started measuring it in our clinic is using heart rate variability, which you can just use on a fitness watch. And people don't even really understand how a kind of anxious, upregulated from a nervous system standpoint, exactly here you're describing, they are until they have an objective tool to measure that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Combined therapy is the best way to go. And there's so many different tools in our toolbox nowadays. So there's tons of stuff that can be done. Yeah. And, and I think it, too, like with, oh, go ahead, Kim. I was just going to add that it, like listening to everything that's being talked about here, a lot of the participants who may have been struggling with some form of pelvic floor, like could have been incontinence, could be prolapse, could be something that required them to have a hysterectomy, heavy bleeding, whatever. Anyway, a lot of times anything to do with the pelvis is associated with the fix of Kegel exercises. And Mm. we have some evidence to support, yes, there's some benefit to that, but it, it really requires a whole body approach. And, and it's just being highlighted so beautifully here that it's not just about, oh, if you just do some Kegel exercises, that will make that problem go away. So I, I, I love what's being talked about. And I think that's such an important thing for people to take away is that there are, I always say have a vagina village, like we need a healthcare team to help us. And it's not just about going to see the doctor and getting a pamphlet about doing Kegel exercises. Right. And then let's, let's go to that pelvic floor exercises, the right way to do pelvic floor exercises and also relaxing our pelvic floor, right? The concept of, the, it was in the chat box, the term reverse Kegels, but relaxing the pelvic floor, opening up, reducing tension, because sometimes that's the problem, that it's too much tension. And so we really want to work on relaxing it. And as an osteopath, and, and Betsy is too, osteopathic physician, we learned, you know, vaginal pelvic floor release for the muscles. 
And that's kind of, it's really gone by the wayside. There's very few physicians that do that anymore, but our pelvic floor physical therapist will do that and will teach you how to do it yourself. And we'll talk about re reducing the spasm, just like if you have a tight neck spasm muscle, you know, then if there's a tight vaginal uh, pelvic floor muscle spasm, you've got to correct that. You've got to nip, you've got to change that, break that, that nerve synapse connection. So we'll really work on reducing that relaxation. Maybe we'll start with the relaxation and then go into the pelvic floor tightening. And this is at any age. I mean, certainly we see it in the perimenopause, menopausal age group, but this can happen at any age. And I remember first, like probably my first month in private practice, a, a newlywed couple came to me and they had tried to have intercourse, you know, their first time. And she was having vaginismus, which means the vagina, the vaginal muscles were spasming and she couldn't tolerate any penetration from him. So we worked on, and I thank God for my training because we worked on that pelvic floor release until she was able to relax. So Kim, let's talk about that. Good stuff, you guys. Isn't this good stuff? <laughs> I mean, yes, in the chat box. I know there's so many comments coming in. We'll get it. This is good stuff. This is good stuff. We're here to help. We're here to help. So the way that I teach people, first of all, I, I use a term called the core breath. And the reason why I use that term is because the pelvic floor is part of the core. So using that term kind of highlighted the fact that it's not just this tiny little Kegel muscle that we're, we're working on. It, it's a, it's a part of this core, this system that we have. It also works in synergy with the diaphragm. So when we take a breath in the diaphragm, which is at the top of, of our core, it lowers, it descends, it expands, it draws air into the body and it needs kind of the response it's asking for is the belly to expand and also the pelvic floor to expand and, and sort of lengthen. And then when we exhale, there's a natural kind of contract and lift that happens in the pelvic floor as the diaphragm goes back up. So there's sort of this synergy that should ideally be happening throughout the day without us thinking well, about it. Really, allow our audience to do this with us right now. Kim. Yes. Yeah. Why don't we tell our audience to do this core breath with us right now? Because this is good. Because we've just been talking about pain, tension, spasm, vaginas, hysterectomies, all kinds <laughs> of words. Everybody's getting more tense. So Everybody. wherever you are right now, most people are probably sitting at their desk. Um, and, and I would invite you to sit in what I would consider neutral pelvis, which is where you can put your vulva on the surface of your chair as opposed to your tailbone on the surface of your chair. So nod your pubic joint forward so your vulva is on the surface of the chair with your two sit bones. And you should have a gentle curve in your low back and just kind of try to hang out there for a while. And just that alone can often alleviate some people's symptoms is just taking the pelvis out of kind of a stuck held tension state of being tucked under and guarded all the time. So coming into a more neutral pelvis. And when we breathe in now, bring your attention to the surface of the chair. So when you take a breath in, can you sense a, an expansion a fullness of your vulva on the surface of the chair? At the beginning, Anna, you used the term blossoming and we were, people had some terms of, of flowers in terms of how they would address their vulva. And I love the visualization of, a, of blossoming your vulva. And I also think about like, if you can imagine your labia, so these are your labia majora, these are your labia minora. You can imagine your labia are like lungs. And when you take a breath in, there's sort of a fullness and expansion of your breath into your labia. And then when you exhale, without doing a Kegel right now or, or adding any voluntary contraction, when you exhale, you should feel like that, that fullness sort of subsides, that blossom will close. 
And then if we take it to the step of what a, of what a Kegel is, a Kegel is a voluntary contract lift and let go of the pelvic floor. Most people think of a Kegel as just a squeeze and they often will use their butt or their inner thighs thinking they're doing, activating their pelvic floor. So when we inhale, we expand into ribs, we soften our belly, we blossom our vulva. And then when we exhale, we can use different imagery and visualization to activate the group of muscles. And it, there's no best cue. Studies will say an anal, like imagine squeezing your anus, but that's not gonna work for absolutely every single person. The ones that resonate most with my audience is think about sipping a smoothie through a straw with your vagina. So this is, you would do it as you exhale. So everybody take a breath in. Thank you, Jessica. <laughs> so everybody take a breath in, blossom your vulva. And then as you exhale, imagine sipping a smoothie through a straw with your vagina. So that's one. The other is to imagine that you have a blueberry at the entrance to your vagina and your anus, which your anus would be down here. And you can imagine picking up a blueberry with your vagina and your anus. And the other is an image of a jellyfish. So if you can, you know, we've talked kind of about this motion. So a jellyfish is the soft expansion when they're kind of just lightly floating in the water. And when they want to move, they the edges come together and, and they propel up to the surface of the ocean. So Jessica's doing a great job of helping kind of give that the visualization as well. So those are the three most popular cues that I use when I'm teaching somebody the core breath. And I the, the next step then is take it into movement because we need to be training the pelvic floor dynamically. If we sat at a red light and just did picking up blueberries, let it go. Even if we did, were in neutral pelvis, even if we did them correctly, that still doesn't train the pelvic floor to respond to the things where we're having problems like a cough or picking up a child or when we're weightlifting or running. So we need to start layering it into dynamic movement after that. Yep. And That's beautiful. Makes perfect. Is there, is there too, can you do too much of that? Can you exercise the pelvic floor too much? Well, so I hear a lot from people to say that they'll say, well, I've been told not to do Kegels because my pelvic floor is too tight. And what I would say to that is maybe initially we would spend a little bit more time on the blossom that doesn't mean that we would remove the jellyfish propelling or the sipping the smoothie because the muscles still need to be kind of reminded, this is your range of motion. There's a, a contract, there's a lift and there's a let go. If all we ever did was focus on here, that's not gonna build the strength and resilience here, even if that person is kind of tending to be dominant in a, an overactive state. So we're trying to aim for that balance by but just focusing on one and eliminating the other, I don't think achieves that. I, I think, you know, maybe a bit of focus initially on relaxation, but we want to add back in that full range of motion afterwards. You know, it, it's counterintuitive, but sometimes when people have spasmed pelvic floors, it's because their muscles are weak and their muscles are trying to compensate for that weakness by spasming. So it kind of messes with your main, your brain. You're like, wait a minute, that doesn't seem right. But I think it's like with any exercise, you do it wrong, you can hurt yourself. So the, like your explanation of how to do that was a beautiful visual. Or if you're lucky enough to live someplace that has a pelvic physical therapist that can, can show you physically how to do it is another great option. One of the things I always say to my patients is like, if it was your bicep and you've been walking around like this for 10 years, then we try to do more bicep curl, right? You're yeah. not going to go very far. First, we have to release 
and stretch in some cases. So in some cases, you don't even have this range, like it can get really stuck here. And so that's where the manual work, pelvic physical therapy, using the wands, you know, at home stretching, all of that, so that you even get the ability to lengthen, then you can start strengthening in the whole range, which is what you ultimately want. Doing a million kegels from here will increase pain, but you also don't want to be totally just loose because then other things are going to try to compensate as Betsy was saying, you know, and, and Kim said so well, you need that like whole fluidity to relieve pain also. I feel like it's a really good, that's a really good visualization too. And that whole body, the vagina is part of the whole body. We can't treat it in isolation. Like in yoga, you don't do just one pose right? It is that fluid, full movement, right? That incredible fluid, full movement. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. And so it's all that. And when you get stuck, when you hit a barrier, what is that telling you? So when it comes to the vulva vaginal area, because trauma can be held in our pelvic floor from our bladder, the fear of letting go, right? And that can be, you know, fear in general, holding back, unable to express yourself. And then feminine wounds, wounds around our femininity that that have occurred can all be held in the pelvic floor. So when we find resistance, let's dig into the physical, the hormonal, the emotional, the energetic pieces that are all trapped in there. And through movement, we move energy. And, and oftentimes, I don't know, I'm curious about this. We're going to go a little woo-woo. Is this good, You're my audience here, participants? We go a little woo-woo. I'm curious. Like, what are some of like, oh my God, I can't believe that just happened type of moments when we do get that pelvic floor release, when we move through a resistance, when we move through a, you know, a, a pelvic floor trauma, what is that? You know, what is the, you know, what, what have you seen emotionally that has, that has come through? And I, I will start with that because I have a friend who's an amazing psychiatrist and worked with her through pelvic floor, worked with her on hormones, worked with her on pelvic floor exercises and, and therapy and really addressed many of the issues, like, you know, terrible menopausal symptoms, perimenopause, heavy bleeding, fibroid tumors were coming up. And we just went into a meditation at one point and actually a very deep meditation and regression. And what released from her was birth trauma and, you know, terrible birth trauma where she was held down and having having to deliver a child that was then taken from her. And so this was like, what the heck? Like, where does this come from? And she was better and she was better after that. So that is like the experience. You know, I am all science. I was a scientist before I went to medical school, right? And these things can come up one after the other and be like, huh, that's interesting. How did that work? I mean, really, I still don't know how it works, but I'm, I'm willing to hold a safe container for the process to occur. Betsy, you're not in your head. You want yeah, to no, I'm, I'm thinking same thing. You know, I love the woo woo stuff, but it, sometimes as a scientist, it's sometimes hard to like wrap my head around it. But from an energetic standpoint, the pelvic <laughs> chakra is our center of creativity. And so when we're not living our full, like kind of relaxation in that area, we're preventing ourselves from being like our full femininity. 
And so it doesn't even have to necessarily be pelvic trauma. It could be that there was some, uh, you were bullied when you were younger. There could be like some kind of emotional trauma. And many women in particular, more so than men, will hold stress in their pelvis. And we don't realize it because we're trying to protect ourselves. So there is that, like, let's close off that pelvic floor and protect ourselves. And so I think it's such a beautiful thing to be able to release that, get that movement and actually helps with the blood flow, helps with flow of cerebral spinal fluid. And so we'll aid with creativity. So. Wow. Wow. Jessica, Kim, anything to add here? And I'm going to put a poll in the box for you guys and you guys answer this question. How important is a healthy sex life for you now, whatever age? How important is it for you now and and for the rest of your life? So we're going to go ahead and publish this poll. And I want you all to give us your answers and answer that while we'll go on and address this. Jessica, Kim, anything to add on this? Yeah. And I think, you know, Betsy, you made a really good point. And also I used to do a lot of pelvic floor work with men as well. And men in some cases can hold the same kind of emotional and, and energetic trauma in their pelvic floor. And especially men who do a lot of sitting under stress, you know, at work. And then I have seen some really interesting things happen with vulvodynia, everything from old chronic viruses being mm-hmm. eradicated to having the pain relieved relatively quickly after you know decades of pain, but also things like women feeling supported in their home. So, you know, I have had a lot of clients who have so much pain, vulvar pain, that they do a lot of distracting and they their family starts to kind of be like you know are you just lazy you can't still be in pain da, da, da. when there's a level of understanding among the people closest to them where they feel safe that while this is an invisible illness the people that they lo- love and care about the most believe them support them understand or at least accept what they're going through it's very fascinating how pain can change pain intensity can change really quickly as almost a barometer of that level of what we call in our practice web of support, like having, and it only takes one or two people kind of being in your boat. So we do more and more group coaching because I really feel like that idea of understanding that you're not the only person going through this. And if there are one or two close people in your life that, you know, really support you, it can be so helpful. Yeah. I would say, um, along that line of, of feeling like you're not alone. So for me, what I find is most talked about from a kind of a, a, a contributing trauma perspective, maybe is the actual diagnosis itself, mm-hmm. and specifically with prolapse. So I find that the incontinence one is, it's easier to kind of, well, I'll just put a pad in, I don't like it, but it's it's easier to carry on. And it's not a big deal. And, and you know, we just move on. But with prolapse, it halts people and the influence to their pelvic health or sorry, to their mental health is really takes a a big hit. And they, and this happened to me as well, even, even with the knowledge that I had, even working in a very supportive environment, I still felt the, I don't want to move. What if it gets worse? I don't want to have sex, even though my husband is very supportive and he knew all that was happening. I still was retracting from everything. I don't want to participate in this because I feel symptomatic today. 
I don't want to do this because what if I don't have a successful bowel movement this afternoon? I can't commit to that exercise class tonight, or I can't, I don't want to go on date night with my husband. And so there's these, so many aspects of our life are influenced as we talked about earlier, when, when we have everything working, we don't even think about it when it's something's not working. It's the only thing we think about because it affects absolutely everything in our life. And so the trauma of especially a prolapse diagnosis is a big piece of what I do is helping people navigate through how to not be constantly thinking about that symptom and how that constant thinking of the symptom can actually exacerbate the symptoms, right? So it becomes this sort of hamster wheel and chicken and egg scenario where it can be hard to, hard to get off. I want to do a couple definitions too, just on defining prolapse. When we talk about prolapse, it can be vaginal prolapse, it can be uterine prolapse, can be bladder prolapse, rectal prolapse, so cystocele, rectocele, we even have your urethral prolapse, urethroceal. And so when we talk about prolapse, we're really thinking the relaxation into the vagina or out of the vagina of the anterior upper vaginal walls or the cervix and the uterus when it's a uterine prolapse coming down. The rectum can also prolapse out and you've lost that connective tissue to hold it up. And it can be from from, for many reasons, but okay, good. Kim's got the diagram here. So we see in the center, you've got the, v- the vagina right there in the center. And then sitting in front of the vagina, you have the bladder and behind it, you have the rectum. And on top, you've got the uterus and the ovaries fanning out there. And so what happens is you get that relaxation and the looseness, like the vaginal walls, like a, a balloon, and it loses that elasticity. Yep. Then you get the bulge inside and you can feel that pressure. And for some, and this was postpartum after child number three, I'd have to actually insert fingers into the vagina to put on my posterior vaginal wall to help me have a bowel movement. It's before I realized what a a disruptor dairy was in my life. I mean, I've been 10 years without dairy, never had constipation since. But that was so eye-opening for me and recognizing, okay, it, this, this can be repaired with exercise, with you know healing the gut microbiome. And I know that's what you're passionate about too, Betsy. So do you want to talk about that as well? And there is the way, there's the POP score for prolapse diagnoses, but basically, you know if you've got prolapse and it's usually more heavier pain at the end of the day. And we'll We'll talk about that more, Judith. I see your question there. That's- you know, I was I was thinking. I wish I had my. I wish I had show and tell. Thank God for uh, Jessica and Kim. But when they were showing the pelvis before, our pelvises are just open holes to gravity, so we don't have bony structures that are holding in those organs. So the only thing that's holding in those organ organs are our ligaments. And yeah, so that see, we're just all muscle. And so what when Kim was also showing it with the vagina, the rectum, and the bladder so close together, there's only a thin layer of connective tissue between each one of those organs. And so what ends up happening with those prolapse is either the muscles weaken or the ligaments in between weaken. And so now, say this is the bladder and this is the vagina. So now the bladder is leaning on the vagina and pushing the vagina out or the rectum is leaning on the vagina and pushing it out, or the uterus, it doesn't have the ligaments holding up the top. So everything's kind of just drooping and dropping and 
falling out. So some of it is related to muscles and some of it's related to connective tissue. So I just wanted to throw that in and then I forgot what your question was. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that just about prolapse and, and healing and healing prolapse, what other thoughts do you preventing prolapse is the is the first first case, right? I saw somebody put a, a question in earlier about what happens if you've never had kids and can you still have prolapse? And you can. Though statistically, women who have children at much higher risk. And it here's the thing. Unfortunately, you don't even have to give birth vaginally. It's just a pregnancy alone. Because here, I'm a urogynecologist, and that's all I used to do was prolapse surgery. And so when I had my two kids, I was like, I know better. I'm going to have an elective C-section to save my pelvic floor. And you know what? I still ended up with a prolapse and had to have prolapse surgery. So mm -hmm. just the fact of being pregnant alone... And I have had a number of women who've never been pregnant, never had children, and lifting heavy objects. Com yeah, gymnasts, gymnasts, really. Like, I've had young gymnasts because of that pressure of hitting the floor. You know, people with chronic constipation, people with chronic cough, anything that's going to damage or put a lot of pressure on that pelvic floor, that all can potentially cause damage to that tissue. It's a type of hernia basically. So, and yeah. I think it's important to, to, to add in there is that if say constipation has been a trigger for that person or a contributor for that person, if, if we aren't addressing root causes, if we aren't looking at this as a whole body approach and that person goes down the route of having a surgery, which there's no shame in having surgery. However, if that person is still dealing with constipation and they have surgery to fix that prolapse, the chance of them having that prolapse again is so high. And so people say, oh, well, my surgery failed. I, I think that there's been a failure in terms of communicating, getting to the root cause, in terms of communicating a prehab, in terms of communicating a rehab and, and the ongoing maintenance of that group of muscles that has now been influenced by scar tissue that we need to factor in there as well. So that's, that's kind of my two cents with regards to prolapse, especially from a surgery. But the other one thing that I'll say that, from from my perspective, one technique that has provided the most hope for people and has helped me. So I had a stage two uterine prolapse and I also had a rectocele. So I had a surgery for my rectocele and I reversed my stage two uterine prolapse. And that's a, a technique called hypopressives, which is some people know about it. Some people don't. Different people have different views on it. Um, there's some research, not a ton of research, but I wasn't prepared to wait for research. If there was something that was giving me hope that I could get rid of this, I was on board and it worked for me. And I, I use it with 95%. So if you have high blood pressure, not indicated. If you're pregnant, not indicated, but pretty much anybody else can, uh, can do it. So that's one of my, a big thing in my toolbox for prolapse for sure. And what is that hyperpressive? hypopressive. So hypopressive means low pressure. So when we think about, as Betsy was just saying, when things are, are increasing pressure, so a cough, a sneeze, a jump, so we have, we have all have intra abdominal pressure. That's part of our core control mechanisms and different, like standing up from my chair increases intra abdominal pressure. So we can't just label things as being, that's a bad exercise because it increases intra abdominal pressure, but it's how we manage that pressure and hypopressives can help us better manage pressure. So it's a series of postures or poses that you get in that don't elicit huge increases in intra-abdominal pressure. And then you have a breathing 
cycle, a, like a cyclic breathing pattern that you add to it that has a component of it being an, a breath hold actually in apnea. And you've exhaled all of your air and then you actually do, it's called a false inspiration. You expand your ribs without allowing air to come in and it creates a kind of a suction, like a vacuum effect. And it influences the uracus ligament. So our uracus ligament attaches from our bladder up to our belly button and the, the most that inward kind of inward upward motion of the abdomen influences that ligament, which can also elevate the bladder. So that's kind of like very rough way to describe it, but, but it, it can help before that came along. It was sort of like, oh, you have prolapse. Well, we're just going to have to prevent it from getting worse. There was nothing that could actually truly get rid of it potentially or improve it by a stage and it was the first thing that came along that gave people an element of hope not just a well you're just going to have to live with it kind of kind of scenario now there's there's lots of other things to do but that's one thing that has been really helpful and it's exercise i mean it's an exercise breathing technique so it's not medication yeah. it's not surgery and then you are living proof of the results that you've gotten with it and I know I, I promised you guys top of the hour, we're at the top of the hour, and they want to give you each uh, a minute to, to close and tell people where to find you. And you guys who are on, thank you for staying on. You guys have stayed on the whole time. There will be a replay tomorrow, so you guys can listen to this again, take more notes. And also you will receive an email with each of our experts' contact information as well. And then I will stay on a little bit longer at you know, can let anyone who wants to go top of the hour, I promised. And, but I will stay on a little bit longer to answer some other questions that have come up. We haven't got into. So Betsy, go ahead. Oh, this is so much fun. I could go for hours. I know we all could. It's like, we could keep going. And I'm like, I'm so, yeah. So we've only hit the tip of the iceberg when it comes to all the topics we can be talking about. So yeah, so I just wanted to let you know, we just finished up the Happy Vagina Rally, but it's a summit on women's health and it's still available. So you can go either go happyvaginarally.com or Dr. Anna has a link specifically for you guys. I'm also all over social media, even, even TikTok and, and Instagram. And as long as I don't get kick, kicked off Instagram again for saying the word vagina. And then I have the pelvicfloorstore.com that has pelvic health products. I'm always looking for new ones. If anybody has any recommendations. And very soon, not it's not yet ready yet, I have a course called the Vagina Reboot. It's going to be rebooting your vaginal microbiome with a two-week course. So look for that coming out soon. I will definitely look for that. Thank you, Betsy, for being with us. I know we didn't really go into vaginal dryness, and we, we can stay after a little bit if anyone wants to. Kim, go ahead and, and tell our audience where to find you and catch up with you. Thank you so much. And I agree. I, I could talk about this for hours. I, that, that hour went by really, really quickly. But, um, so vaginacoach.com is my is my website. Pretty much I'm on every channel. And if you put vagina coach somewhere, you'll find me, YouTube, Pinterest, TikTok now, Instagram, what have you. So feel free to reach out with me. And I might use code words sometimes because, you know, we have to manage that. But but I'll direct you to, and I saw a few people actually uh, who are on the call who've taken my Buff Muff Challenge. So thank you for, for highlighting that. But I do a 28-day challenge called the Buff Muff Challenge. It's in my app and my app is called the Buff Muff app. And it is... It, it incorporates basically what I've been talking about. So, you know, accessing the pelvic floor with imagery, 
coordinating it with the breath and then bringing it into dynamic movement so that we have a whole body approach and it's only 10 minutes a day. So it's not, it doesn't take a huge amount of time. And over, I think it's close to actually 5,000 women now have gone through that. And there's been people who've ditched their pads and improved their prolapse symptoms and have no more back pain. And, and it, it highlights the fact that it's, back pain is actually one of the big things that so many of us have back pain. So many women have back pain. And one study showed 95% of those women have pelvic floor dysfunction as well. So if you have back pain, go and get your pelvic floor checked and you can come and do the buff muff challenge. Thank you so yeah. much for having me. Oh my gosh. So much fun. Thank you, Kim and, and Dr. Jessica Drummond. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I always love talking to all of you. There's, you know, we, as you said, we could go on for hours, but if you want some more support with endometriosis specifically, vulvodynia or any pelvic pain or sexual pain issues, all of our work and support is at outsmartendo.com. And we're also on Instagram at outsmartendo. And we see people with all kinds of pelvic and sexual pain there. Awesome. So again, I want to thank you guys for, for being on and I'm not going to hold you because I promise you to the top of the hour. So that goes for our audience and it goes for my speaker. So again, thank you. Thank you so much, but welcome to join me in answering a couple questions, a couple, there's been a few questions. So I honor you guys for your time. So, so much. One of the questions that have been coming in is about lichen sclerosis lichen sclerosis and what to do about it, how to address it. And I know as a gynecologist, probably one of the hardest things that I've had to treat in my life and working with patients. So I always say an ounce prevention is worth a pound of cure. Keep the vaginal vulvar floor, the vulvovaginal area as, as toxin free as possible. Look at your detergent, look at your underwear, look at what you know, you're bathing in what your water supply is. I mean, all of those things. Yes. And then hormonal replacement topically using certainly topical testosterone and clobetazole have been some of the, the treatments over time. Jolva has been working really well for many, for many of us, the baby's like, it's the top of the hour. Didn't you say? <laughs> yes, I did. But all right. Be a good girl there. And have you heard of the O-Shot and oh. I, like, I've been reading a lot about how the O-Shot has been, has been helpful for lichen sclerosis. I don't have any of my clients who've done it. I don't have any personal experience. So I'm asking if you, and I think I've seen Betsy cheering. So maybe you've had some experience with that. I, I love lichen sclerosis. Not that I love it, but there's so much stuff out there. I'm getting all excited about talking about lichen sclerosis. <laughs> You know, one of the things about lichen sclerosis it is an autoimmune problem. So I've seen a combination of sources in the gut. So if someone has a leaky gut or microbiome of the gut being off, that that will cause inflammation in the body. And people's inflammation shows up in different ways. Some people may be worsening of blood pressure. Some people may be pelvic pain. Sometimes it's worsening of lichen sclerosis. So I've seen healing the gut fixed lichen sclerosis. I've also traditionally we view in traditional OBGYN, it's either steroids, which often makes it worse or hormones, but hormones tend to work. One of the reasons Jova works so great is it's got emu oil. Emu oil is amazing for lichen sclerosis because it's very anti-inflammatory. The other thing is any of the regenerative therapies like laser, Mona Lisa laser, really good for, you have to get a lot of treatments for lichen sclerosis, but really good at reversing it. What's in the O-shot is platelet-rich plasma. 
So injecting platelet-rich plasma into that tissue can help reverse it. Microneedling can help reverse it. Radiofrequency can help, therapies can help reverse it. Red light therapy can help reverse it. Carboxy therapy, which is topical that you can get over the counter, can help reverse it. There are so many of the regenerative therapies that do really, really well. That are people using for vaginal rejuvenation work really amazingly for lichen sclerosis. You just tend to have to do a little bit more treatments. So there are so many options now, and I've seen some people do like life changing. And the, what we use in traditional medicine. It hasn't worked up to now. So yeah, look look into some of those different therapies that I mentioned. Yeah, I think and, all of them too. And then pre-oping and post-oping, post-vaginal and vulvar lasers. We know from the research that vaginal laser rejuvenation doesn't work very well for a postmenopausal woman because we're losing the collagen and the integrity. But if we pre-op yeah, with, yeah. you know, Jolvar, DHEA, testosterone, if we pre-op with that, give it enough time, we're going to get better effective, you know, outcomes with laser therapies, whether it's the Mona Lisa or, you know, there's so many different vulvovaginal laser treatments that are going on now, but definitely would say pre-op the vagina and, and the pelvic floor for at least one to two months, at least two weeks. Yes but ideally up to two months ahead of time to regenerate collagen, moisture, and support that. And O-Shot with PRP or even using stem cells. Stem cells, yeah. the pelvic floor and the vulvovaginal area, we get regeneration of tissue. And I would still maintain that with, you know, I use Jolva to maintain it or vaginal testosterone, DHEA, progesterone suppositories combined too to help nurture that tissue. And again, lichen sclerosis, I mean, and, and that is for a couple of people said, what the heck is lichen S, lichen what? And it is like a cigarette-like paper appearance to the pelvic floor. So very atrophic, very thin. It can tear, rip, bleed, very sensitive. And it gets worse. It progresses worse over time. And as you get older. And sensitivities. Food sensitivities, the gut microbiome. The vagina is, an, is a reflection of your gut microbiome. Well, and we published a couple of cases on this back in 2016 or 17, where it all, well, a lot of what you've said have actually, is actually even newer since then. But I think that whole idea that we talked about at the very beginning about combining this, like mm -hmm. the biochemistry of the, you know, the nutrition the gut microbiome healing, the vulvovaginal microbiome healing, then you layer on something like PRP or, you know, injected stem cells or laser, you're doing it on a much more resilient tissue and, and combining it with pelvic floor physical therapy. Because if, if, if this is like this, there's no blood flow there, right? There's no nervous system flow. So you, if you do all of that together, you actually start to get healing to that very kind of far away from the heart tissue, which is really hard to infuse with all of the goodness of this stuff when there's all that tightness. So it's really this awesome combination that is so helpful. I mean, that makes a huge difference. You guys are hardcore. You're staying on with me. Awesome. Oh, fun, but it's so important. The and the clitoris. The clitoris is something that has been ignored over time. It's been ignored. And I was at a sexual health conference recently, and the speaker was 
talking about how to just lice the clitoris. Of course, there gets adhesions and stones in there. And I was like, pre, you know, pre-treat it, pre-treat it as soon as you can with Jolva or topical progesterone or topical test. I mean, get some hormones back into it, estrogen to recondition the tissue before you, you I mean, then, and then not, I mean, if you have to, cause it's a critical pain situation, we have to do that. But afterwards give hormone therapy back. I mean, pelvic floor hormone therapy is very, very safe. I have not come across a contraindication for pel topical pelvic floor hormone therapy, clitoris to anus. So it, the research pretty much is conclusive that it is safe, even with histories of gynecologic cancers. So topical hormone therapy, it's different than oral hormone therapy. There's some questions here. Do you recommend any, tip, any particular dilator? Well, I like the ones that are silicone because they're so much softer you know, Jessica's just... got a really fun house. Do you see all the kind of toys <laughs> right at her desk? I do. I have, yes, I, have, I do. I have tons of them. Here's another brand. This one's a little harder. I don't have it. I don't know where that one is. I have the box still, but honestly, personally, and, and with my patient, I just like the softer ones because I think it's, it's just more comfortable. And these are, what is the company? I'm getting a little... And then fatigue this late at night. <laughs> and we have some on the pelvic floor store. We do. I'm sure you do. The uh, intimate rose. That's who makes the. Yeah, these, I gotta yes. get her. I gotta get her cream one. I don't have her. Yeah, and they I'm have. They have, they have really small ones, and then they have really large ones, and in between. And this, they also have one that has a little vibration. I like this too, also for like rectal spasms. The really tiny one here. So I just like the material. It's it, that's my favorite. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Intimate Rose, and I and the vibrating wand actually. I used that after my rectocele surgery, so I did experience a little bit of uh, painful sex, and it was more again as Jessica was talking earlier, right at the entrance to the vagina. And I used the vibrating wand just to to kind of familiarize myself again with something going inside, but also then helping release the tissue on the inside, and the vibration can be. You know, people think vibration, oh, it must be for pleasure, but it can el help elicit a relaxation response when you apply it kind of as a pressure point. So intimate rows are the ones that I recommend. That's awesome. And also it, it improves circulation. So yes. using the vibration in, improves circulation. And now I'm going to switch and talk about vibrator trauma. Mm. So mm. vibrator trauma causing nerve damage and having to reawaken the, the, the clitoris, the vulva vaginal area. And what is, what has been your experience in that? Wants to comment about vibrator trauma. Yeah, anyone in our audience hear about that vibrator? Uh, I, I unfortunately have seen this. It, you know, because any kind of vibratory stimulation, if you overdo it, the body wants to kind of protect itself and kind of get into a balance. And it's kind of like, I make it like a, a comp, like I explain it by like, if you heard a bell ringing, ding, 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 at first that'd be annoying, but if it keeps ringing, 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 your body's going to tune it out. So this happens with a lot of different things in our body. It can happen if our hormones are at steady state. It can happen with any kind of stimulation that is 
like too much. So uh, unfortunately with the vibratory stimulation from, from a vibrator, sometimes our bodies, our nerves will tune that out. And unfortunately women have complained like when I first started using toys or vibrators and they were great. And now I have to use them more or harder or more intense because the nerves basically have been like, Hey, we're not going to pay attention to you anymore. So unfortunately it's going to be kind of resetting those nerves and kind of, you know, backing off. I mean, I've even seen women who've developed calluses from overstimulation of the tissue. So yeah, it's really, I mean, I will tell you when it comes to a callus, using something like Jovo will soften that tissue, but also trying to figure out ways to like kind of back off because the tissue is going to regenerate. I mean, the body's going to go back to normal, but you have to kind of back off a little bit. Jessica, how about you? Well, I would say when that happens is as Betsy said, you know, it's a nervous system issue. So we step back and say, why were, why are we jumping so aggressively to just such direct vibration. Mm. Is there any way to kind of get, again, the whole body involved? Um, You know, what's your relationship situation? What else is pleasurable to you? How can you vary? You know, the nervous system will respond in a more pleasurable way. It, It depends on the person. There's some you know, people have different ways that they respond sexually. So that's also helpful to know. Do you like variety? Do you like predictability? What makes you feel safe? What other parts of the body can be stimulated to feel that same kind of hormonal upregulation? Do we need to slow down the foreplay? Do we need to change up the foreplay? So it depends. There's a lot that goes into that conversation because ultimately it will be healed by addressing same thing as we were talking about kind of how do you heal lichen sclerosis, right? Lichen sclerosis is is essentially a symptom of any number of different other things. It's the same thing as this direct intense stimulation just to the clitoris as the only thing so much so that it damages the nervous system is different things for different people. You know, for some people it's just, Oh, this is the only thing I knew worked. And, but for that's just because they didn't have a lot of education about what else could stimulate them. And then for other people, there was a level of needing to please in a certain way or needing to get, have their orgasm at a certain amount of time pressure. So it depends on what the root cause issue was. And I think the more we can slow it down and just listen to how did this come about, the answer will usually present itself. Jessica, that is such an amazing explanation and, uh, and, you know, made me think of where I tell patients all the time, your most important sex organ is your brain and your largest, largest sex organ is your skin. So Mm. this is why women can, everybody can orgasm with just brain stimulation without any other bodily stimulation, or you can orgasm with stimulating an ear, an elbow, a foot, like there are other, because all our skin is all nerve endings. There have been studies, you know, with people who are paraplegic and even if they have no feeling from the waist down, you can still orgasm because an orgasm is a brain process. And I think it's, it's really interesting to think about that and to expand the orgasm, to expand the definition of orgasm, to experience the whole body sensation 
the intimacy, the feel good, the oxytocin increase, right? Versus the climax, that once off gets off, you know, that type of less than a few second response, but also how do you get full body climaxes, full body orgasms? And I will just challenge all the participants today, however old you are, that you can have better orgasms and in your than you've had in your life yet still to come. And it's that awareness of your body touching and, and slowing things down versus speeding things up lightening the touch to the to the faintest touch to reawaken the nerve fibers the pelvic floor and to use your breath to use your breath to expand to relax to blossom i'm going to use that word a lot now thank you kim we're going to blossom to blossom you know so many oh my gosh so many good so many good tips and questions. And I, I think I will, we'll close on Claudia's question. Topical hormone therapy used estradiol cream for two weeks in April, and it totally irritated my vaginal opening. So bad that couldn't stand anything touching. Test normal now in June, still suffering. What to do? And this is an issue, and I'm sure you guys have comments, but some of the creams have irritants in them and that can, you can be allergic to. And then also if you go from dry to moist, yeast can cultivate and it, it didn't cause the yeast, but it was dormant or hibernating. And so we can reawaken that yeast. So oftentimes treat, treat the yeast and you like, look at, you know, is there something in that ester, in that cream, in that base that could have been an irritant? Do you guys have any other other comments to add to that? Yeah, unfortunately, the commercial available prescription products for topical hormones all contain propylene glycol. And propylene glycol is a preservative, but it's also a mucosal irritant and it bothers some people, not others. And so unfortunately, I've seen that too many times where it has irritated people. And then I agree also, there could be microbiome shifts so the balance of bacteria and yeast in the vagina that could be causing some irritation and even microbiome and yeast imbalances in the gut that are then feeding into the microbiome imbalances of the vagina. And there's tons of ways that can that can be tested. And usually going to an integrative or functional um, medicine physician will have the, the knowledge of how to test those things. All right, you guys, this has been amazing. I think I, I will close the I will close the box. Be sure to look out for our email tomorrow. So that'll have the links to to connect with our expert guest here. And you'll be able to connect with them directly. And please do. You see their heart, you see their knowledge, you see their experience and their vulnerability and authenticity. And I love these ladies. So join me in giving them a big thank you. And I want to thank all of you for being on for joining us tonight and for playing with us here and for opening up the conversation and for taking the polls and for asking questions and supporting each other in the chat. And we look forward to doing this again. We definitely will look forward to doing this again. So a lot more conversations to come and I look forward to it. Thank you again, Dr. Betsy Greenleaf, Kim Bopney, Dr. Jessica Drummond. And thanks again to all of you. Thank you. Thank you Anna. My pleasure.